Welcome to Translation Chat, a podcast on Japanese media translation, where your host, Jennifer O'Donnell, that's me, chats with translators and editors in the Japanese to English localization industry about their favorite translations of Japanese media. So today I'm joined by Mercedes Kulis, who is a Japanese to English translation and localization editor working primarily with light novels and visual novels, such as Idea Factory's Cupid Parasite. They're also a popular culture critic anime and manga reviewer, and a freelance journalist contributing to websites like Anime Feminist and Anime News Network. So thank you so much for joining me today, Mercedes. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's really exciting. (laughs) I'm really excited. Uh, I heard your interview on another podcast and thought, oh, you sound really knowledgeable about sort of editing and about the translation, well, about the sort of the, the Japanese media industry as a whole. So... I'm really excited to have you. I am willing to bet that you heard me on, was that Baka Banter? Because that was one of my favorite interviews I got to do. <laughs> like, uh, No, it was on um, How to Japanese. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That was so much fun. That was such a fun interview. I, that, was, that was a <laughs> lot of fun. I got to talk about Fukushima quite a bit, which was really exciting. <laughs> you did. You did. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. And today you're going to be talking about the English subtitle translation for the anime Super Cub. I sure am, and I am really excited. <laughs> Super Cub is one of my, yeah, it's it's easily one of my favorite things. Just just things, just things of all time, uh, not just yeah. anime, but things. Things of all time. Like, <laughs> this anime almost made me want to ride a motorbike, and like, I only, it's only recently in my life that I've learned how to ride a bicycle, so like, I'm making some leaps. But this anime just oh, got wow. me really hyped. <laughs> nice. I actually, after watching, um, I can't remember what it was, we watched another anime with a bunch of friends and one of them went off and bought a giant lime green colored motorbike because of the anime. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that sounds like someone who watched like Yudu Camp and then was like, uh, I, that, that, I, I need a best that, I was going to say that's, that's the other one that like is all about cute girls who also ride like Vespas and motorbikes. Well, I think there's only one character who rides a Vespa. Yeah, it's, Sorry. yeah, yeah. I'm getting completely distracted. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess for those who don't know, because we just started talking about motorbikes, um, what is Super Cub, the anime? So Super Cub, the anime, um, which is actually an adaptation of a novel series and a manga of the same name is a series that follows Koguma, a really solitary girl with abject nothing in an almost literal sense. Um, She doesn't have any friends. She lives alone. She has this very lonesome life until she buys a heavily discounted Honda Super Cub, which is comedically discounted because I believe three or four people died while riding it. Oh my God. (laughs) So it's sold to her for like, like Ichiman, it's really funny and show. Um, so it's like a hundred dollars. Like a hundred dollars, um, and like the guy throws in some gloves, and it opens up her world. She she starts actually getting friends, and over the course of the show, she gets two friends, Reiko and she, um, and it's kind of just about her moving through her depression on the back of a motorbike. Nice. So why did why did you pick this? Um, anime in particular to talk about? So Super Cub, when it came out in winter 2021, was, um, not, I'm sorry, it came out in spring 2021. 
it was one of the first anime I got to really kind of professionally review on a bigger platform for Anime News Network. But for me, more importantly than that, it was this really, really um, powerful anime that kind of renewed my love of animation. I've always loved animation and I have been reviewing it since about October 2020. But this kind of made me remember why I really like anime. Um, it lends itself to a really strong feminist reading of teenage depression, particularly teenage depression within Japan, and especially through the lens of high school girls, which I think a lot of stories about high school girls are not necessarily about their perspective on emotionality, but kind of about like, here's a gaggle of cute girls doing insert activity here. Or here's a gaggle of cute girls yeah. <laughs> doing, you know, something. It's it's not very rarely do you see an anime that's like, here's a group of cute girls all simultaneously moving through like various levels of depression. Mm, yeah. And for me, like on a personal level, it's something that really helped me cope with winter sad, um, seasonal affective disorder in 2021, um, especially because, you know, that was year two of the pandemic. And I think things were very different then. And it's, it's just kind of stuck with me since I saw the premiere. And I think in the industry of anime right now, it's quite rare for anime to have kind of lasting power because of how quickly they're churned out. There are literally mm-hmm. dozens of series every season. It's impossible to keep track of them, even for yep. me as a reviewer. And the fact that Super Cub has stayed enough that like my last article of 2021 was about Super Cub is really like... It's just kind of affected my life really, really deeply. Um, And it made it easy to pick to talk about. So is there anything in the translation specifically that made you want to talk about it as well? I think I just overall, like the, the, the characterization of the main character through the translation and localization work really stuck out to me because part of it is obviously you have the base foundational Japanese there, but what the unnamed localizer did in conveying the deep loneliness of Koguma, the main character, and kind of her development into a happier person through word choice and kind of through just the linguistical choices that were overall made was really, really good. Um, And it just, there's really, really beautiful word choices and really, really evocative phrasing, especially in the finale. Finale sticks with me the most. Um, I remember almost every second of it and it's ah, chef's kiss it's just great (laughs) (laughs) do you have any examples of sort of things that really stood out to you as oh wow this is like a fantastic word choice for this particular situation yeah so in the finale um there is a scene where koguma and her friends after this really harrowing kind of event are watching the cherry blossoms at Cape Sato and Kagoshima, which Cape Sato, I believe, is the southernmost point of Kyushu. So it's like the most south you can get kind of of the four main islands of Japan. And I believe the phrasing is like, and we welcome spring. And it's such a simple sentence. But in context of like what has happened in the preceding episodes, this phrase felt like the most perfect word choice to use to kind of evoke like the trauma of this incident that happens before the kind of the soft climax of like coming to just see cherry blossoms because it's not something you think of as like really 
action-oriented. I mean, cherry blossoms are cherry blossoms. They're beautiful, but, like, um, there's not kind of, like, a climax, like, in, say, like, a Naruto or, like, a My Hero Academia. But, like, and we... It might be, actually, and we heralded spring. And it's just such a really poignant, beautiful moment. And I don't know who chose those words, but it stayed with me. And especially as we kind of lean into the time shift and different time zones and spring ahead and like spring is coming soon, it really kind of, I don't know, it touched me enough that mm-hmm. I remember rewatching that scene a few times because I was like, wow, what a simple thing to say and what a simple series of words to choose, but how effective. God, that finale is just so good. <laughs> and I think too, like in a kind of general sense, the the natural way that Koguma and her friends speak, I think sometimes when dealing with teenagers, sometimes people try to make it a little too modern when mm-hmm. it comes to localization. And I think that can I think that's good and bad, right? You can lock a series into time or you can make it timeless. Um and this feels very timeless to me. Like, they have smartphones, so obviously you know that this is a certain era on, but the way that they speak to each other, the kind of casualness, the language that's chosen is very neutral, but still, you can get a little flavor of each character. Koguma's a little bit more kind of soft-spoken and reserved. Reiko, her first friend, is a little bit more blunt. Um, she cusses at some points, which I actually think was very <laughs> effective because teenagers cuss. They say swears. Yes. And like she, the kind of third of the triad of friends, is kind of a good blend. And it's quite balanced across all of the episodes. You never feel like um, they're leaning into too much teen speak. They all just feel very natural. Um, and that's what I really, that I think that's also part of its staying power, at least for me. Was there anything in particular about the characterization, like certain characters using certain words? I think the thing that stands out most to me still is that there is a series of like, what did the girls do on summer vacation episodes? And it's two episodes in particular. The first one kind of starts the vacation and the second one follows the character Reiko in particular. And where the girls live is Hokuto City, which is near Mount Fuji. It's near in the sense of like you could bike to Mount Fuji and Reiko is attempting to go out go up the mountain on her super cub which spoiler alert it's a really bad idea yeah I was gonna say that's that's already people don't realize how big Mount Fuji is but it's like a big mountain like that's she doesn't make it to the top because one she's a teenager two Mount Fuji it's a mountain it's very yeah. big. Um, but at different times, like, there is a sequence where she just, like, says, damn, over and over again. And they could have gone with different words. They could have softened it. But I feel like the choice to kind of actually make her the character that swears, and she gets angry in the scene, so, like, they can't change that. That's just the context. But the choice to actually have a character swear, which, I, you know, people, I think, have different opinions on. The choice to make her swear, like, repetitively, even when she doesn't, even when, like, in Japanese she wasn't necessarily swearing, um, was really effective and it added this very particular emotionality to that scene. And I feel like in my review of it for Anime News Network, I noted, like, crying at that point. Because what it did was it elevated this scene of a young girl, (laughs) 
attempting to climb Mount Fuji on her bike. Um, <laughs> it really actually kind of drew you into her character. And it added this depth that, like, you know, a very basic localization would have done perfectly fine. But it added this really nice depth of, like, Reiko not just being this kind of blunt girl, but her actually being a girl who also is dealing with depression, which mm-hmm. is in keeping with the show. So I have I think we've both heard of a lot of people online saying that Japanese people don't swear, and so you shouldn't put <laughs> swear words in translations. Oh my god. <laughs> which is, all levels of wrong, because people do yeah. swear in Japanese, just don't swear in the same way. And I guess it, it sounds like by choosing for this character to swear at certain points, it humanizes her in the English that you would lose if you had just done a direct translation. Yeah, and intensely, like, because I, I think it it does, it humanizes her in the sense of, like, Reiko, I mean, she is, for all intents and purposes, a 2D character. Like, she doesn't exist outside of the text and outside of the anime, but it humanizes her in the fact that, like, she's a teenage girl who's angry and I and and I will say like I don't think Japanese teenage girls get to be angry enough personally, yeah, um, yeah, definitely. at all ever. <laughs> but like she's, I mean, she's mad. She's spitting mad. Like at one point, while she's climbing the mountain, she like tumbles down. Like no. her bike hits a rock, and this child goes flying, and and like she cusses, and like you know, a literal translation might have had her say. You know what? I don't know. A literal translation might have been a little too liberal with the cussing. I've seen both, right? But I think if people <laughs> got like a straightforward translation, she wouldn't have cussed. And the scene would have been all right, but it wouldn't have been memorable. And the addition of her actually swearing, which like you said, uh, Japanese people definitely do swear. It's just different. Mm-hmm. The addition of her swearing humanizes her and makes her immediately relatable. I guess that's another thing is that you want the translation to be relatable to the audience that it's being presented to and the audience it's being presented to are English speakers. Right. Exactly. And I, I So it needs to have that connection. Yeah, and I think I think like you know, one I can't I can't speak for anyone who read my reviews because um out of practice I no longer read the comments on my reviews. Which <laughs> good idea. Which I think Neither is, do I. I think that's healthy, right? <laughs> yeah. But like that was one of the things that actually, I mean, because like this is the first Blu-ray I'm going to order in a very long time is specifically Super Cub. Um, and I'm probably even going to import the Japanese version because like having the, the localization work and like I said, the poor unsung translator who we just don't know, um, doing the kind of hard work of making this quite readable. And I mean, like readable in the sense of like, you know, when you're looking at the subtitles, it flows really well like this is a series Mm -hmm. that like there are references to certain things because you know the girls are doing all this kind of technical talk about these Japanese motorbikes that like I had never heard of until I watched this anime but there's this accessibility and readability to the series because someone did the hard work of like making it still very Japanese because it is an anime but like making it accessible to someone like me who is op- is operating and working outside of Japan. It's mm-hmm. very it keeps the heart of like this is very Hokuto City is very much so like your typical Inaka town. It's super countryside. It's got like <laughs> it's got like some cone beanie 
It's got a lot of rice fields, but I also feel like this is just a story that can be applied to a group of girls living in the country. The fact that they are Japanese certainly is important because it plays a lot into certain scenes, but whoever did the hard work on this really made this really engaging, very thoughtful narrative that keeps the source text, keeps what is being said in Japanese, but also heightens it and just makes a really, really good narrative that if you're someone in North America, like I am, who's never gone to Japan, I have gone to Japan, I've lived there, but if you're someone who's never gone, you feel like you're at home in this series. And I think that's a really, really rare thing to happen in kind of the cute girls doing cute things genre of anime. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually you're just like, look at these cute girls fly fishing or this cute girl's (laughs) playing with a kendama. (laughs) But in this, there's this sense of intimacy that's created through the localization. And I think that's really special. So you mentioned that it maintains a lot of the Japanese-ness while keeping it readable. Mm. Um, Sort of what elements of Japanese language did they maintain that jumped out at you? Or was... Or did they do a good job of explaining sort of specific Japanese terms? Yeah, I think I think there's a good deal of explanations because like, on one hand, this is set in a high school for a lot of it, right? Like, I mean, part of it is set in nature, but a lot of the scenes do take place in high school. And so I think most viewers, if you've seen kind of any slice of life anime, are going to go in with like a base knowledge of like, this is a Japanese high school. This is kind yeah. of how things work. <laughs> um, but like... You know, there's also all of these events happening around kind of in their life. And a lot of those events are dealing with their super cubs. And actually where it really shines is in its description of all of these motorbikes that I've never heard of. Like (laughs) you learn like this super cub is like the ones that Japan Post use. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've seen that one. Like I, you know, I remember seeing this one in Japan. It's just not red here. Or like this super cub is the one that's like used for racing and it's it's all of these little tidbits actually about the bikes themselves that are really well explained because like one element of the show is that the girls are also maintaining these bikes like they're not just hobby riders like Mm. they're you know constantly doing maintenance um and you learn about all these parts to super cubs like at one point the main character gets like a little extra uh box to go on the back of her super cub so she can carry stuff and that gets explained and you know different upgrades and parts and oil changes and filling up the gas tank and all of these kind of little technical tidbits are what really stand out as getting really well explained via the subtitles um i did not expect to leave an anime knowing this much about motorbikes <laughs> but i tell you I what the- <laughs> <laughs> like, i'm an expert <laughs> So that means the translator would have had to do the extra legwork and the extra research to make sure that they got all the terms correct. Because I feel like if somebody who is knowledgeable about bikes watches this and they have a term wrong. Oh, yeah. Oh, be good. oh yeah. And, and and that's the thing is like, what's miraculous to me is that the translator, for, like some of these are very throwaway lines. Like these are one episode. It's a quick explanation of this and that's it. But someone went through the trouble of making sure like this information was accurate and very easily explained and i love it it's great like at at one point for example koguma buys like a mess kit to like 
that you can like cook rice in and she's super oh, okay. she's super jazzed and like they explain what this mess kit is and i was like because first first time i saw it i was like what the heck's a mess kit yeah <laughs> and I, was, then, like, I was about to say what's a mess yeah, kit <laughs> and they explain like oh okay you can you know this mess kit is this much and like it's made of metal and you can cook rice in it and then like it's a throwaway line and you know we see koguma using it later on but that explanation didn't have to be there they mm-hmm. they could have like given a very brief like here's what it is and you know continue with the scene but like someone did like the little itty bitty detail work to find out that this thing is called a mess kit yeah yeah and i believe i cannot remember the specific name but i believe they named the specific kind it is oh wow <laughs> <laughs> and like i the char- the character who um koguma's with reiko says the name but like someone could have just gone over that name they could have just skipped past it and just said generally what it was Mm-hmm. But the unsung hero of this translation <laughs> did that hard work. And and it's those little things that really, I don't know, that really kind of pull you into the series. Mm-hmm. So there's another thing that you mentioned, um, readability. And you're a translation editor, so you, a lot of your work is, I'm assuming, uh, based around making sure the text is readable. Yes, very much. Very much. Can can you explain what readability means to you? Yes. So for me, readability is three components. And all of them, I should say, have to work in tandem. There's no hierarchy. All three of these are like working together to make the best localization translation that we can. For me, the first is always accessibility. Readability does not exist without accessibility. And sometimes accessibility at a base level means explaining to your reader what they need to know mm-hmm. using language that is widely understood and accessible considering second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth language learners you're not just considering your primary native speaking english audience you're speaking to also you know students who students of english you're speaking to um adult learners of ling- english you're speaking to people who maybe have recent literacy in english you're speaking to the kind of this mm-hmm. wide swath but also accessibility is not punching down. And I think that's a little mm-hmm. hard to do with localization because you there is a point that you hit where you have taken too much creative license. Um, and sometimes things that hurt us exist in the text, but it is a matter of consideration, right? And I, and I guess mm-hmm. that goes into like, my second thing is always consideration for the reader. I always... Um, especially since I started as a light novel reader in December last year, one of the things I always really think about is like, okay, whoever's reading this is a fan of the genre and whoever's reading this, they have information that maybe I don't need to provide them. You know, like if you, <laughs> chances are, if you like Isekai, I don't have to tell you a lot about Isekai. I can kind of have a little liberty with editing things to be a little bit more smoothly. I don't have to kind of, you know, dunk you into the Isekai tank. <laughs> like you kind of have mm-hmm. that info. But also... Uh, you, you should know what isekai means. Right. But also I have <laughs> yeah. to have the consideration of, okay, well, what if a mother of a teenage child is in like a Barnes & Noble or a, you know, a bookstore mm-hmm. and and they are considering buying this title for their kid? Like, I also have to consider for that reader too. And I think it's a, it's a tricky balance because like, once again, you can't have too much liberty, but I also have a duty to edit to be readable and accessible Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so it's, it's, I'm still finding that balance. I'm, I'm better at it with, I think with visual novels because I work primarily with adult visual novels. So like, there's a lot of different words I can use in those that I can't use for something that might be read by like, say a 13 year old. (laughs) Yes. Um, and I think, I think the third thing that's kind of coming out for me is like the fun factor. Um, you know, I, I'll be real. I get assigned titles that like, aren't necessarily my cup of tea. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not particularly, like, not a fan of anything. I like pretty much everything, but there's stuff that I get assigned that I'm like, you know, I can give or take. It's not really my thing necessarily to read now. But I always consider the fun factor of, like, I want the reader to pick this up and have the time of their life. Like, whether that's reading, like, let me think of a good, like, isekai fake title, like, In Another World with, like, a bear. <laughs> or, or, I bet that's a thing. I bet that's a, t- that's a real a, that absolute, novel. That absolutely is a novel title, probably. <laughs> or like, that time I got that time I got sent to a fantasy world with only my smartphone and like, a laptop. That sounds like a good fake title. <laughs> like, that might not be my jam. Like, laptop coon might not be my protag. <laughs> but, I, regardless, like, when I'm making something readable, even if it's not necessarily something I like, I always try to make it something that someone would have fun reading. Because if you're going to spend your money on something, I want you to have a good time. Mm-hmm. And and I think like accessibility, consideration, and making sure like things are fun kind of create this environment where you get good readable stuff. And I think it mm-hmm. helps because like I'm a fan of the stuff I'm editing, right? I, you know, and, and, and like I said, it's hard to strike the right balance because I'm an editor. I'm a fan. I also have my own personal preferences, but I, I think as I'm kind of developing, like keeping those three things in mind is what creates really readable, engaging text. And that's what, you know, that's, that is ultimately my job is to create something engaging, um, not taking too many liberties. You know, some companies give me more liberties than not. Um, when I'm working with adult media, I'm given a little bit more of the reins. Like, I can <laughs> I can edit things a little bit differently, like I said. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when I'm working with light novels, there's the matter of consistency. You know, readers want to have the same experience as they did with Volume 9 as they do with Volume 18. And so keeping those things in mind kind of helps me stay the course when I'm thinking about, like, putting out the best end product possible. So then taking that back to Super Cub, was there anything in the translation and the subtitles that really stood out to you as being like, oh, that was really nicely handled in terms of readability? Or was it kind of more like, because you, because it read very smooth and you, it didn't stand out, that was why you picked up on the readability of it? You know, so there is a scene in particular, and this scene was actually quite contentious amongst the anime fans <laughs> so i'm getting into the juicy super cub like tidbits <laughs> there is a scene in the penultimate episode where a character has fallen into a creek and is like not drowning but is getting hypothermia because she fell into water in the middle of winter um mm-hmm. her bike is busted and koguma the main character says the line my super cub is coming to the rescue. It's a title drop and a lot of people did not like it. They were like, that's cheesy, that's hokey, 
this whole entire anime is just an ad for the Honda Super Cub, which I do think it's important to know. <laughs> I mean, Honda did it, it bankroll. Is. Honda did bankroll part of this. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, said, I'm not surprised. <laughs> that said, the line is one of my favorite things that they put in the entire localization and translation of this project. It is the best line. Because it's absolutely what a teenager who would get a call from their friend that they're getting hypothermia would say. <laughs> it's so true to, like, the entire character arc of the protagonist, who is the one who says, like, my super cub is coming to rescue you. Um, it's so good. <laughs> it's the perfect amount of cheese because, like, she's a teenager. And I know, you know, as a teenager, like, something like that w- would have been the coolest line to me. And clearly at 29... It's still the coolest line to me. <laughs> like, I, that's absolutely my favorite line. And, and that was kind of when I was like, yeah, this is just my favorite anime. This is just my favorite anime because it, it had the project and the subtitles not been so well done to that point. I think it might have hit like, oh my God, I can't believe the character just said this. Because it was so well done, that line feels like you feel the sense of like oh gosh i know this character's not going to die but is she mm-hmm. it builds this really delicious tension in the show and you know things are going to work out because like this is not a sad story it's a story about sadness but it's not a sad story mm-hmm. and like it's just a really good line and a lot of people like i said a lot of people felt it was very cheesy and i don't begrudge them um I think that's one thing as an anime reviewer I've really kind of come to do is like everyone has an opinion and everyone's going to feel some kind of way but I think it's a really good line and um, I like lines like that. I like lines that feel authentically kind of a little a little hokey a little cheesy because that's kind of how teenagers are. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like, as someone who taught teenagers for four years, that's just how teenagers are. <laughs> that's just how they are. And it's it's a really good line, though. It's interesting, because that topic is actually coming up again, because Turning Red is just coming out. Yeah. And people are going, this isn't how teenagers yeah. act. And other people are like, you don't have kids, do you? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like anyone, anyone, who, anyone who looks at Turning Red and is like, these kids aren't real, I'm like, you have never been around teenagers at all like teenagers absolutely strike group poses that's not that's not a joke like I when I was living in Japan I um I taught at an all-boys school for quite a few years and like (laughs) I mean like these boys were just they when I see the turning red ads they make me think of like my my male students who would do stuff like that all the time would be in the Aww. hall in groups and would like strike a pose. Um, teenagers are just like that. And that's actually kind of one of the wonders of being a teenager is you have free reign to be like that. Mm-hmm. Like you can do all of the Zanny stuff you want to do. Like I can't Naruto run at 29. I'll get looked at weird. <laughs> I mean, you could, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> I could. And honestly, who knows? 2022, the year of the Naruto run returning. but like yeah teenagers teenagers do stuff like that and they say goofy kind of lines like my super cub is coming to rescue you (laughs) and and they and and she says it with such passion (laughs) like and there's an exclamation point which is like my favorite punctuation mark and 
Okay, well, you know, I said that it's actually my second favorite punctuation mark. <laughs> that said, it's a good one, and it adds this impact. Um, because they could have just they could have just done like any other. They could have done a period. Whoever did the translation mm-hmm. work, but they chose an exclamation point, which like accents this moment, and like I said, really heightens kind of that emotion and gives that really good tension. So it could have been, "I'm coming to get you." Yeah, it, it could have been, "I'm coming to get you." It could have been, "I'm on the way." Mm. Um, which I think I'm on the way would have been fine because by this point in the series, Koguma has kind of loosened up. Her speech pattern has changed. Um, the translation kind of reflects that she's opened up a lot more. She talks a lot more. She says more words in a sentence versus at the beginning where like, we're mostly in her head. So we get a lot of words, but it's her thoughts. We don't get a lot of oral Mm -hmm. lines. And so I'm on my way could have been something and that would have added a seriousness. Um, but like part of what makes the lead so likable is that this child just really loves her motorbike, her very (laughs) fraught three or four people died on this motorbike motorbike. (laughs) She loves it. She loves it so much. She loves it to the point that like at times in the series, she will go inside and like check on it and make sure it's all right. Like it's like, it's like, it's a dog and it's so sweet. And so for her to say, the the choice for her to say like my super cub is coming to get you like it's on the way it's coming to rescue you that emotion being evoked in that word choice was absolutely the best option that it to me it's kind of the only option mm-hmm. um whether or not people perceive it as cheesy it was absolutely <laughs> the best option so a few times in this conversation um we've mentioned how we have an unsung translator <laughs> we do we have an uncredited translator who's done this amazing work and we cannot find who they are anywhere online. I have my suspicions about who I think it is um, based on consuming a lot of this person's work with anime, but I don't, I don't know if it's them. And I, we just don't know. We know who the Portuguese localization team is <laughs> and we know who the French team is, which I'm glad like absolutely those are languages that people are engaging with um in the tens and, and, and hundreds of thousands credit the yeah and i i just don't understand um <laughs> i just don't understand why people aren't being translated like not translated why people aren't being credited mm-hmm. because like it makes no sense <laughs> yeah this is a problem i i talked to katrina katrina in season one about um the translation of Odd Taxi, and we didn't know who the translator was at the time either. We managed to find out who it was after the fact because somebody else was like, oh, the translator who worked on this is in a panel. But up to that point, nobody, it wasn't anywhere. And it's like Crunchyroll, Funimation, just don't credit their translators. It, it's a shame. Like, And I mean, I'm going to give a hot take. They don't credit and they don't pay enough. <laughs> yeah, they definitely don't pay I mean, enough. because, and I, and I, I will say the person that I th- this feels like after having consumed a lot of her work is actually Katrina this and I I have no clue I can't really ascribe uh, it to her I don't know because normally Katrina is very open about the stuff that she's working yeah in. and and I I it feels a lot like her um perhaps because like I'm secretly a big fan <laughs> but like <laughs> it's not really a secret I think everyone's a big fan. <laughs> right because she just does good work I mean and she also deserves probably to be paid more because like Crunchyroll, and it, and I think especially in light of Crunchyroll now consuming Funimation, yeah, like there's this that merger is oh yeah. that merger is fraught. And like I mean I I have 
I have two very different kind of points of view because like I am a consumer of anime who wants to support like companies that are legal and it's it's weird because like Mm -hmm. this is kind of a full circle for Crunchyroll as a website that started off as an illegal streaming site which Mm -hmm. has just completely been elided from its history it's interesting seeing it come full circle that like now it has all the anime Mm -hmm. but within having all the anime it doesn't pay for all of the people helping to have it all the anime yes um and you know i mean like i i gotta be honest i don't know if i'm gonna keep my crunchyroll subscription right because like i need it for work but i also am like well do i just want to watch free with ads because i don't agree with this company or do i have to keep it for work and just like figure out a way to get that money to someone's kofi or to someone's mm-hmm. Patreon. It's it's this really unfortunate position that like Crunchyroll never had to enter into because they are making millions at the minimum. Yes. Like they can afford no one should be getting paid like eighty dollars for subtitling with like yeah. a twenty four to forty eight hour turnaround or something ridiculous like that. It's just that doesn't have to exist. We don't have to do that. Yeah, I, I guess for people who who aren't aware, Crunchyroll is um notorious for paying when when I applied to them, they said ninety dollars an episode, um, oh and that breaks down to the equivalent of probably about two to three dollars per minute of footage. That's nothing. That's nothing. And it's nothing. It's below minimum wage. Normally, if you're just doing audiovisual translation for an agency, it would be six dollars a minute. For anime, it should be at least $10 a minute. I was going to say, because like $90 an episode for subtitling means you're just getting, you're getting $1,080 for a season. That's nothing. That's nothing. Oh my God. Gosh, like, that's nothing. And then they don't credit their translators. So we don't know who's working on these. So we can't, you know, get, get them. It's difficult as well as a, as a translation community when you don't know who's working on what. Because the translation community tends to support each other, and if we knew who these people were, we if we knew who was working on what, then we could be like, oh well, hey, this job pays better, right? <laughs> and I, I, I have to say, I've been very fortunate since I really started actively doing localization and translation in, I guess, fall twenty twenty that I've been credited for almost everything I've done. There is there is a bunch of stuff that like I've done, I can see it in a bookstore. But my name is not in it. But mm. you know, I can put it on my portfolio. But you know, when I when I got into visual novels, every company I've worked for has credited me, which is really nice. And like, my name is in. You know, when the credits roll, hey, there's me, Mercedes Clewis. But I hate the fact that I've been fortunate because this should just be everyone's experience. Should be like, oh yeah, I worked on Final Fantasy a million. <laughs> like, <laughs> you should be able to get credit. And I'm, I'm, yeah, that's not taking a dig at Square Enix. I'm sure they credit people. I hope they credit. They, 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 Square Enix credit people because they use their only internal stuff. Okay. Whew. But yeah. like, you know, <laughs> with anime, there are, there are some unsung heroes out here in the, in the mix doing a lot of really hard work. The least they can do is get a credit mm-hmm. and also money to buy like more than a few groceries a week. Yeah. Like, $90 in 2022 is unacceptable, unless mm-hmm. they're talking, like, $90 a minute, <laughs> which, yeah. I mean, you know, we, we can at least bump it up to something better. And the sad thing that when 
Funimation Funimation was bought out by the company that owns Crunchyroll. Yes. And Crunchyroll has been rebought like three times in the last three years, which is suspicious. It's very Sorry, it's it's, it's very it's very <laughs> sus. And as as an anime reviewer, like y'all that bubble is gonna pop eventually and like yeah. I'm sweating. <laughs> So I really, I really want to credit this translator that worked yeah. in Supercub. Whoever you are, please know that like your translation work radically, and, and I mean this very genuinely, radically altered my own work as an editor and really is what pushed me to stay in localization and really encouraged me that like this was what I wanted to do because the amount of love I felt put into the subtitles and put into the work of characterizing these, you know, the the trio that kind of helms the show has stayed with me. And I think about Super Cub literally every day. I'm constantly listening to the soundtrack. I'm constantly thinking about the show. It influences a lot of the ways that I kind of approach editing. It's made me a kinder person. So like whoever you are, thank you. Um, this show has impacted me. <laughs> I, would say, I, I normally finish off these interviews with how did the this localization impact you in your work yeah so i mean it like i said it's it's made i think it's made me a better um translation editor personally it's it's really centered kindness and centered passion in the work i do like i am a fan i'm a fan of anime i'm a fan of manga i'm a fan of light novels um all of the stuff kind of under that pop culture umbrella i really am into um, and as someone working both in-house and freelance simultaneously, you know, I try to bring that to every project I'm on. Like I said, some projects I'm on, they're not my personal cup of tea. You know, maybe they're not my personal interest, but like centering that kind of joy makes every project enjoyable mm-hmm. regardless. Um, I also think like one thing on a personal level that Super Cub did is one of my last pieces um, of journalism last year was a kind of perspective piece for Anime Feminist. And it talked about Super Cub's sound design, um, its use of like liminal spaces, obviously the pandemic, and just kind of my own struggles with depression. And a lot of that came about from just kind of revisiting the show and going back through each episode and kind of thinking about how, you know, the the Japan side did the sound design and the music, but also structured with the subtitles and the translation and how that kind of meshed together and really told this very beautiful story about a young woman, a young girl dealing with depression and dealing with feeling lonely. And I think, you know, in Super Cub, COVID-19 doesn't exist. The pandemic is not even a thought. This is not something the characters have to interface with. And yet this anime came out during the pandemic. It was under production during the pandemic, because assumably it was under production in 2020, you know, the novels predate the pandemic, um, as does the manga, but like the anime as a medium is a pandemic product. And it really gave me the space to kind of examine and go through my own feelings. I think even in my article, I talk a little bit about like how the translation kind of affected me, how the characterization affected me. Um, and it really kind of gave me a lot of peace last year mm-hmm. when I wrote that piece. And like I said, it's just kind of a series that stayed with me. Um, and I can't ever imagine not loving this series, especially since I'll have it on Blu-ray in May. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe the translation will be credited on oh the Blu-ray. Oh my God, I really hope so. <laughs> I 
<laughs> I'm going to specifically, like, once I get the Blu-ray, be on the hunt for a name. So, like, whoever <laughs> it is, I can be like, thank you. <laughs> I'm really, I'm, I'm optimistic because the Blu-ray is being put out through Funimation. I think it's, because I know Funimation isn't going to completely go away. So, like, maybe they will tell us who did it. Mm. Because I think the Blu-ray will also have a dub, which that'll be mm-hmm. interesting. Um, since I assumably someone else will be doing like the dub script. So Yes, probably. Yeah, I'm very excited. So one one quick question. Do you think you would feel the same way about the series if it had been handled by someone different? That's a really good question. You know, I th- it's it's hard to say no, right? Because like my automatic answer is yes. Because this is the only this is the only version I've experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yes, though, because there's so much, whoever did this, there's so much kindness and empathy and heart put into their work that, like, if this had been someone maybe who was more into a straightforward translation, or if this had been someone who who didn't really do the, the little extra kind of hard work to set the foundation for the for the translation itself I think it would be a very different project I think the end product would be like a pretty okay anime from spring 2021 I don't think it would be memorable for me though I think this kind of would have been the kind of anime that I would have given like a 7 out of 10 and I would have been like oh it was it filled my time it was a good use of 30 minutes every (laughs) week instead as this anime progressed like it was going through boxes of Kleenex, it was feeling all these emotions, <laughs> it was laughter, it was rewatching episodes. And I think, you know, obviously Studio Kai, the production company, did they they laid the foundation. The translation would not exist without the anime at base existing. Mm-hmm. The voice actors did a good job, but like the translation also is part of that foundation. It's how I experienced it, and it's always going to be locked in my memory with how I experienced this. And yeah, I do think it would be different if someone had, if, if whomever else had handled it. It would be different, and I don't know if I would feel the same. So I guess, like, I'm ultimately thankful that whoever did it is who did it, because they've given me this really beautiful thing that I love. Yay! <laughs> Great. Sorry, I was just, you, you can't see, I'm just, I'm just beaming over here. Aww. <laughs> I'm a big, big Super Cub fan. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was really fun. Um, I really relish any opportunity that I get to talk about Super Cub. And like, anytime someone's like, hey, Mercedes, what's your favorite thing? I'm like, well, do you have a moment? It's Super Cub. Um, (laughs) And I, you are absolutely not the only person that I'm about to talk their ear off about the show because now nice. I'm going to go talk to my partner about it. <laughs> and like, that's going to be Aww. great. So thank you so much. Oh, I, thank you. And where can people find you online? Before? So you can find me on Twitter at Pixelated Lenses, where I, uh, <laughs> maybe I'll be talking about Super Cup. Maybe I'll revisit it for spring. Um, but usually I am talking about my work as a translation editor. Um, most recently, I talked about my work on a new visual novel, and uh, I share a lot of pictures of food. I, <laughs> I like a good snack. I like eating. I will put links to that uh, in the show notes. Mm, okay. Thank you again. Yeah, thank you for having me.
Thank you for listening to Translation Chat. I'm Jennifer O'Donnell, and you can find me on Twitter at GenTranslations or on my website, j-entranslations.com. The Translation Chat theme was composed by Alex Valles, and the logo was designed by Kate Soldevilla. Links to all of these can be found in the show notes. Catch you next time.